throughout this series, I've been watching on as my guests lend a hand. From blackening apples to foraging for wild garlic and even herding pigs, it's been a busy few weeks for my guests. But nobody's really noticed, but I've got away with a pretty easy time of things. So, for the final episode of the season, my producers have decided it's time that I got involved. We're turning the tables, and I'm going to pay a visit to a good friend and fellow double Michelin star winner, Kenny Atkinson. And I'm going to lend him a hand with one of his more eye-catching dishes. It's all, it's all right, chef. Is that the standard? Or? It's, uh, could do a bit of work, like. But... All right, yeah. yeah. Sorry, chef. Careful, careful. <laughs> My name is Tommy Banks and you're listening to Seasoned, the podcast which takes you behind the scenes at my restaurant and my farm. It's April the 26th and this is Seasoned, episode 10, Kenny Atkinson and a radish. Before we begin, I want to say a thank you to our sponsors. This podcast is only possible because of True Foods. True Foods are an incredible family business who make the best stocks and sauces. True Foods provides stocks to some of the best kitchens in the UK. One, two and three Michelin style restaurants use their stocks as the base for their recipes. And now, their stocks and sauces are available for you to buy at home too. I'll tell you more about them later in the episode, but you can check out their product range and find lots more information in our show notes. So here we are, the final episode of the season. A season which has seen us go from snow and ice on the farm to a relatively tropical temperatures and blue skies right now. The last 10 weeks have witnessed an absolute sea change in the produce we're working with, the dishes we can cook, and to be honest, my mood as well. I don't often look back and reflect, but it's amazing how much can change in a relatively small place in just a few weeks. Little farm update for those of you keeping an eye on our lambs. We're up to 104 lambs now. 72 of our ewes have lambed and there are 24 of our herdwick ewes left to go. So we're nearly there. And uh, if you drive up from the abbey in towards the Black Swan, you can see them jumping around in all the fields. It's a great sight. Speaking of the pub, I said last week that the website had just gone live while I was recording. Well, by the time the episode aired, we'd already sold out the opening weekend. Thank you so much to everyone who has booked in. We really can't wait to see you, and I really thank you for that. And and do keep an eye on our social media, because there'll be more tables opening up soon. I'll be taking bookings right throughout the summer. I can't wait to see you there. And as well as that, we've also made a huge announcement this week as well. A brand new food festival, which I'm organizing and hosting. I'll tell you a bit more about that later in the episode. This week, it was decided that we should turn the tables a little bit. And instead of watching on while a guest does the hard work, my producers asked me to go and lend a hand in someone else's kitchen. And when they made that suggestion, there was only one place at the very top of my list. Kenny Atkinson is a chef that many of you will already know. He's a former winner of Great British Menu. He's been flying the flag for the Northeast. He's got not one, but two Michelin-starred restaurants on the same road in his native Newcastle. And he's a top boy. So last week, I turned up in Newcastle to see his latest venture, a stunning little restaurant called Solstice. 
Kenny, Kenny mate. mate. Good to see you. Yeah, you too. So this, this is where you are, Solstice. I just walked past House of Tides. You're literally on the same street. Literally, five minutes walk of you. You're taking over. So when I last came here, it was um, Violet's. Violet's, yeah. Ab Abby's cafe. Yeah, I and, was and now you're full fine dining. Now it's fair, yeah. So it's it's uh, completely changed. I don't think you've seen the site since it's no, been no, done. No, I've not been so, in. Uh, we'll train it. Yeah. We'll around. Stepping inside the restaurant, you're immediately faced with the open kitchen on the right and just a handful of tables. It's small, intimate and beautiful. Oh, it's so smart in here. So yeah, last time I came, it, you know, it was, it was a beautiful, uh, but it was a cafe, wasn't it? You'd yeah. sit in the window here, you'd have coffee. And now this, I mean, this looks like a, a Mayfair fine dining dining room. So, so yeah, I remember before, everything was open plat, all the windows were open, we used to have there, uh, up here was the coffee area where you can sit and have a coffee, watch people walk past. But um, obviously after, after COVID, we decided that we had to do something different with this because we, we couldn't get it back open because of social distancing. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's too, it's too small area. It's such an intimate space, isn't it? How many yeah. people do you cook for about 14? So 14 is yeah. the maximum we can do. So the table of four and then five tables of two. So they're all quite nicely spaced out without feeling too intrusive this must be the hottest ticket in town if you've just want to well another mission starts yeah. mission start here and at your other restaurant know, there's not many people who do that on the same street uh, and you've only got 14 covers so people must be clambering to get in here and then the expectations are yeah and, and uh, i like i mean you know in, in my restaurants often the chefs carry the food out and stuff but this is really interesting you come in through the door and on the right you've got this beautiful marble pass and the chefs are the chefs are prepping in there and the kitchen's literally there and then you're into the restaurant. So, I mean, the first table as you come in, you're, you're literally, it's almost like a chef's table, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. You're watching the past. Every time a guest walks in, Scott and myself, who's, who's my head chef, will be on, yeah, welcome. So we welcome everybody in and we serve all the food. And then obviously when the guests leave, we say goodbye. So it, it tries to make it really personal, intimate. And like I say, trying to create something that is very different to our other restaurant next door. I love what Kenny's doing here, getting his chefs interacting with the guests. I just think it's the modern way. And Kenny told me that he thinks it's really helping with the development of his chefs as well. But what's good for the team now is they get to interact with the guests. So that they feel now that the work that they do, which is long hours and hard work. But when the guests are telling them that that snack that they've created is amazing, they're getting job satisfaction. They, they feel actually they're, they're, they're creating something, they're part of it as well rather than just stuck in the kitchen where it's me getting all the players, these guys again as well. So it makes it feel like a really nice, progressive and happy atmosphere. You have to be passionate. You have to be wanting to, to be creative and, and, and buy into what you want to do. But it's important that uh, they have the confidence because you're not just a chef now in this kitchen. You're a chef and you're a server. You're interacting with guests. So like, you know, like young Ben, young Kian, when they, when they first started, They've always been very kitchen-based. So now they're now starting to go to the tables, they, they explain the dish that they've created or the, the, the concept that they've made, and, and they can get that passion across. But that's doing two things. That's giving the guests an experience, but it's also giving them the confidence as a chef. They're getting more yeah. mentally stronger, building character for them as, as a young, upcoming chef themselves. So it's going to be it's just, it's just brilliant. In, historically, and it's hopefully it doesn't happen so much nowadays in our industry, but there was often like a front of house, back of house divide yeah. in restaurants, and it's yeah. quite sort of famous. Whereas I think when you break down those barriers like this, it's just a much more whole experience. I think for the young guys working for you as well, they have a much better understanding yeah. of what it actually is to, yeah. to run a restaurant, not just um, run a section in exactly, the Exactly, yeah. 
But you also get to see the journey of, yeah. of, of the, the dish to tier because, you know, we've all been guilty in the past where we, we, we can create a dish, we think it's brilliant, but then by the time you get to the table, the vibrancy might not be the same or it might be difficult to eat. The feedback's instant yeah. as well. Yeah. The kitchen is tiny. There's four chefs in here and they must have to be so organised to move around each other and keep everything going. Um, we're about eight hours out from service, but already on the pass, my eye is drawn to what's going on. One of the chefs is delicately picking up tiny slivers of radish. I'm watching Kian. He sliced radishes incredibly thinly on like a mandolin. It looks like they've been pickled. They've been lightly pickled, yeah. Yeah, and then, so you've got these tiny discs that have then been cut in half and are now being layered up into like a perfect rose, of which how many, I mean, how many slices go into a rose? Around 30, 40. Just 30, depends 40. on the size of the radish, yeah. This is the thing that we find dining when like people listen and go, oh, you've got 14 cover restaurant. How hard can that be? But if you've got 14 people having one mouthful of food, which involves 30 slices of radish, which you need tweezing up, quick maths, 300 times 10 is 30, 30 times 10 is 330 times four, 420 slices of radish you've got to um, put around just for that one bite. And how many courses are on the menu? Well, 18, 19 servants. 18, 19 Nine. servings, yeah. and of, which, of which one of them would be like 400 slices of radish. Christ, why do you want to work here? That's only one part of the radish, so we, we, we use three types of radish for that snack, which we're going to get you to do one up later on with me, to, to dress it up. Oh no, so that looks other... like the fiddliest thing on the menu. Choose old sausage fingers to do that job, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I knew I'd be helping out and I didn't expect there to be pigs to herd, but I had hoped it would be something that would be a good laugh and maybe not tweezer work. So, I mean, what I, what I love about, I mean, there's just one word description on the menu, so you don't give anything away, which for me, I love because I, I eat everything. But one thing that stood out to me was uh, Catch of the Day, which is sort of one of the last savoury courses about other things before your, your venison. So. Wow. So this was so this was a dish we wanted to try and utilize for the deer boats. So yeah. what they catch, we, we should be in a situation where we're trying to support them. And sometimes we get into a habit where when we do our menus, we just like oh, we want turbs on the menu, that's what we're gonna use, or it's gonna be salmon or, or cod or whatever. So we wanted to create a dish that we could utilise whether it was cod, as long as it was a white fish, cod, pollock, haddock, uh, turbot, brill, um, even probably halibut to a certain point. So well, as long as it was a white fish, we wanted to create a dish where it could utilize whatever. So along with Scott and myself, we, we wanted to do something that was going to be supportive to the deer boats. So we, we created a dish where it was the it was a trunk or like a pavia of the fish, which was brains. We top it with a, a little mussel mousse and then we wrap it in sushi nori and then we steam it. So whatever the, so whether it's haddock or whether it's pollock, or whether it's cod, it's the same process. So it's just the fish changes, the dish yeah. doesn't. That leads into sort of seasonality very well and sustainability. But also the thing I like the most, and it's not lost on me that we're up here in Newcastle. There's only two missions that restaurants and both yours, you know, but you're sort of giving back then to the, and involving the community and your reach actually goes out to the day boats as well as the food tourists who are coming in. And I think this day and age where, you know, everyone whinges about tasting menus and go, oh, but it's, it's the most sustainable way of cooking, you know, yeah, there's no wastage. waste. It, it, there's consistency, um, and like I said, when you think about how many restaurants that have big alcohol menus, mm. you have to question how much is fresh on every element. At least this way, everything's mm. done fresh every day. 
and it allows us to be you know supportive to the farmers to the producers so they've got some that is if radish is not good and they've got beetroot the same dish just changes the beetroot and, and, yeah. and so on i love that approach yeah. Being sustainable and seasonal is obviously something that I preach. And as Mission Star chefs, we can often be tarnished with the idea of being quite wasteful, only using the best cuts or the most perfect looking bits of any ingredient. So things like this, they're great to see. I'll be learning more about Kenny's own seasonal approach later on. But now, I think he needs my help. This dish he calls radish is exactly that, a radish but not like any radish I've seen before and certainly not one I've prepared. As we sit down, there's a bunch of tiny ingredients and a pair of tweezers. Time to get to work. So Tommy, what you have in front of you now is one of the snacks that we serve. So it's what we call radish. Very, very simple. I'm familiar with radishes. <laughs> but we use different types of radishes. In charge of this dish is a young chef called Ben. He's only 21, but learning under the tutorage of Kenny, he's getting the very best start. Cooking the dishes and taking them to the diners builds confidence, and he's already much better at plating this dish than I am. So, yeah, you've got your beer batter crust on. Yeah, lovely. So that's like a, a batter, and you just deep fry that. Yeah. yeah. So it's just got lovely nice. beer flavour to it as well, so it's nice and yeasty. It's got a nice texture to it as well. Yeah. Lots of little so, herbs. So the herbs are, we have um, wild chervil, we have oxalis, and we have marigold. Yeah. So you have lovely citrus, fragrance little herbs. But as you dress them up, it, you'll start to see it come together like a little flower pot. So this is daikon and black radish, which yeah. we've um, almost like poached in the, in the white soy liquor. We've then dehydrated it so it's really nice and chewy. Mm. Got a really nice like, caramel texture to it. Also, added some dashi vinegar and some um, and some maple verjus as well, just to reduce it down, so it's really sticky. That's so interesting because I think like radish you see as like a fresh thing, really. It's usually crunchy yeah. and raw, or it's pickled. But the way you've sort of like well, it's almost like candied, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's got like a, got like a chewiness to it and a real meatiness, which I suppose is like the soy umami sort of thing. What are you putting in there, Kenny? Apple? So we have some smoked apple as well. So that adds a nice little acidity, nice little freshness. There. How have you come up with this? Because I might be funny. Smoked apples is not... People don't really smoke apples. We thought if you just put fresh apple in there, I think it would be kind, kind of lost. Yeah. So we wanted something that's going to add a little bit more smokiness to it. So that's why the smoked apple came into it. And then we just finish it with a little bit of caraway seeds. So you've got something that's quite fragrant, quite yeah. floral. I mean, I'm used to being precise. I always think it's when you're doing someone else's dish, though. Because it's, it's harder, almost, isn't it? Well, it's like following instructions. It's like paint by numbers, isn't it? Yeah. You're going to show me how to do it, and I, I can't. I don't know what the vision looks like. Yeah. So I find it easier to be precise if I know exactly what I'm trying to achieve. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, this this is. I do feel the pressure a little bit here. <laughs> what do you reckon to that, Ben? I've I've put the horseradish cream on, and that looks. I've sort of rolled it down. Is that? It's. Is that it's the standard? All right, chef. Is that the standard or? It's, uh, could do a bit of work like that. All right, yeah. yeah. Sorry, Chef. Careful, careful. Yeah. <laughs> so the next thing with the flower pot is, is when you think of a rose and you think all oh, them thorns and coming out is, is trying to arrange those herbs. So we have some beautiful wild chervil. The reason we like the wild chervil for is it's got a, that lovely, just that lovely effect of when we had sort of that jagged edge. So this is precise. Each of the tiny leaves has to sit exactly the same way. 
It's only a small dish, one bite, and it's all gone. But that means there's nowhere to hide. There's a three of those, yeah? Three, four. yeah, three, four, four, four gone there. Last of all, the slithers of radish, piled up to create a beautiful rose, which sits on the top. I've got a feeling this is a dish designed for Instagram. And Kenny told me it kind of is. I think dining out has changed now completely. So you look at years ago, it was just about eating out. Now it's about, you know, people want to take pictures, they want to Instagram, and also you've got to be very visual and careful about the pictures that people are taking. That, that's, you know, your brand that's getting yeah. put out there. So if people take a bad picture or the food looks awful, that's representative of you as a business. One picture they put on Instagram, that is going to 100,000 people and even more. So then that people see that and go, oh my God, that looks lovely. So it's a, it's a, it's a big, important marketing tool now. So when we, when we did this, and all the crockery, you can have a look at some of the crockery. Everything is very elegant, very white-based. So it just allows everything just to really showcase off without being, without the food being obscured with a, like a blue plate or a black plate, it just everything's clean. And people do eat with their eyes. And it's, it's like TV, you know, when you see like a judge going, oh my God, it's the best thing ever. People are already thinking, I want to eat that. I've got to go there, I want to try it out. So it's, it's a big part. I'll pop a photo on my social media if you take a look at, but I think my effort is definitely good enough to serve. The big question though, is what does it taste like? Right, let's try this then. Just smash it in a water. Wow. So there's acidity, smokiness, texture, mm -hmm. floor. I think, I think when you see um, this radish go out, and if you follow Kenny or Solstice on Instagram, you will you will have probably seen this because it's really quite a striking dish. Your first thoughts would be that it's going to be quite light and subtle in flavour, but it's not. No, it's a punch in the face. It's a massive flavour bomb. It's like umami and acidity. Yeah. I mean, my mouth is absolutely watering now with the um, the way the, the soy sauce, I think, has really yeah. helped with that. And that's a perfect way to set up a meal. But it's also quite... Like now, my palate's cleansed. It's yeah. almost like it's fresh. And then when you go into the next snack, so we have the we serve the snacks in order of strength, acidity. Mm. So by the time you get to, to the radish, then you, you then follow them with the lobster tart, which is then quite sweet, quite yeah. refreshing. Then it clears your palate, ready for the next wave of courses that's about to come. So months of development, two days to make it, and about 20 seconds, 20 to, seconds eat to eat it. Yeah. But hopefully, memorable for a long time oh yeah um and, and like i say if someone takes a picture on instagram it's out there forever yeah so amazing thanks very much ben yes thank later on i'll be talking to kenny and his head chef scott trying their show-stopping first course and revealing how kenny helped kickstart my chefing career but cost me an absolute fortune in the process But first, I mentioned at the start of the show that I've got another new venture, a food festival held at the home of cricket, Lords. This festival is going to be called the Home of Food, and it's on the 9th and 10th of September this year, and I've lined up some of the best chefs the UK have to offer. Like, we've got people like Richard Corrigan, we've got Lisa Allen, Gareth Ward, Niall Keaton, Luke French, we've got Selen Kiazim, I'm going to be there, so's Will and Callum. So it's an amazing lineup and lots more people um, 
to, to add to that soon. There will be some cooking demonstrations, loads of food and drink, and of course it's super family friendly, it's really accessible. Um, who knows, we may be even record an episode of Season Live at the festival too. That would be a laugh if you want to get involved with that. Tickets are on sale, so visit the, the Lord's website and I can't wait to see you all there. Now, a word about our series sponsors who have really helped us to get this podcast off the ground. If you regularly listen to the show, you'll know how passionate I am about proper stock. Without good stock, you can't make great recipes. And True Foods make the best stock on the market, bar none. True Foods stocks and sauces are used in a lot of Michelin-style restaurants up and down the country and worldwide. So if you're looking for an ingredient to elevate your cooking to a whole new level, head on over to truefoodsltd.com and use the discount code SEASONED10 to get 10% off your first order. Earlier on, I was giving Kenny Atkinson a hand at plating up some of his delicious radish dish at his restaurant Solstice. He's only been open for nine months, so to already have a Michelin star, he must be doing something right. And that dish is off the charts. But as we sat down, I wanted to remind Kenny of the first time we actually met. Yeah, it's wicked to be in. It's great to see uh, that you've uh, the evolution of a business as well, because I feel like uh, there's a couple of things and big moments in my life which you've been involved in actually, bizarrely. So I remember the first time, so obviously I'd seen your British Rennie with like, you know, white hero really. Quite I was, honest me, no. <laughs> well, like, you know, because I had been in your chef when you were doing that yeah. and, and you know, some very successful for the North East as well. Um, and I remember when you booked in for Black Swan first time, we had nobody else booked. So the first, so I had two covers booked in, it was you and Abby. And I was like, oh, for God's sake, Kenny Atkinson's booked in for dinner. And he's the only person sat in the restaurant. Because back in the day, like, we'd have no one booked in, so I just closed. So I was like, first, I had to run around all prep all the thing. Then secondly, I had to ring up. So I got my mum and dad to come in, uh, like, with some friends, and they sat in one bit. And then I invited two other tables. I think it looked like we had 10 covers in. Yeah. Which was in, you and Abby paying. <laughs> yeah, so that meal cost me a few hundred quid, roping in friends and family to have a meal to make it look busy. But the alternative was either serving Kenny in an otherwise empty restaurant or cancelling his booking. And the Stooges worked because Kenny had no idea. Yeah, it was before Instagram really kicked off. It was like, it was more Twitter then. Mm. And I remember just seeing like some dishes on there and I thought, you know, it looks, looks nice at those. And I thought, I wouldn't mind going down. I didn't know much about Tommy, didn't really, you know, so I thought, I want to go down for dinner. And I remember at the end of the meal, I remember Wayne this is better than House of Tides, isn't it? It really <laughs> pissed me off. But do you know what it is? I was like, it was, it was great. It was such a good meal. From those humble beginnings, my restaurant went from strength to strength, and I'll always thank Kenny for that. He helped me out again too, because it was his restaurant where I took my now wife, Charlotte, on our second date. So good job he cooked up a good meal that night and we didn't leave disappointed. (laughs) While we chatted, Kenny's head chef, Scott, was scurrying around the kitchen behind us, preparing one more dish for us to try, their show-stopping caviar. We wanted the idea of having something that was quite luxurious and, and it set the tone for the whole meal. So we came up with this idea of that we're going to serve caviar as the first course. 
So you're, I, you're killing me here. There's a, I've got this beautiful plate in front of me with a cloche on top of it, which has a golden dolphin above it, and you won't let me take the cloche off. But it's just <laughs> Honestly, this dish looks an absolute picture. It looks like a whole tin of caviar, but in actual fact, there's a thin layer concealing all sorts of goodness underneath. Mm. So under there, we've got a smoked eel brandad. Uh, it's been made with some yeah, smoked eel, as you might guess. A uh, touch of potato. Mm -hmm. Also some creme fraiche in there, which mm -hmm. lightens it up and freshens it up. Gives it a nice creaminess on the palate. And uh, seasoned with a little bit of lemon juice just to help lift it. The caviar is a Derenki Imperial caviar. It's come from Petrosian. Um, use that, it's got a lovely uh, persistent kind of buttery note coming through from it and it really lends itself well to the eel. And then alongside it, we've got some chicken skin crackers as well. Yeah, it's pretty good. Oh, so, uh, what so we're uh, putting smoked eel and caviar on yeah, chicken skin. Yeah, on chicken skin, yeah. yeah. So naughty, what I'd recommend you do naughty is... Naughty boys. <laughs> you take your knife, you dig in, spread onto the crackers, and then go in from there like that. And it tastes... Well, you can tell by my reaction. <laughs> I, I defy anybody not to like that. Because it's just it's rich, creamy, there's really good acidity. The chicken skin is just like an umami win. And I mean, that, I mean, that is the ultimate luxury but also it's something I could eat every day of my life. Yeah. Because like, I know it's rich, yeah. but it's so tasty. What makes this so incredible though, is the chicken skin crackers. I need this recipe. But they're not, they're not just chicken skin, because you know yourself when you, you try to make chicken skin crisps, they, they can be quite powdery. Yeah, and, and quite greasy almost. Yeah. So what have you put in here to So we, we, cook, we cook the chicken skins, um, not to give too much away, but we, <laughs> we, we cook the chicken skins down first in, a, in boiling salt water, and then we puree it and, and mix it with a few little bits of bombs. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you off, off camera. Almost yeah. <laughs> like it's like roast chicken crisps, almost like a really meaty. But the texture of the, um, the smoked eel brandard. It's a really nice mix of surf and. Turf. Yeah, when you when you said potatoes. I was thinking, like, that's a weird thing to put in something so light. It's a classic brand, actually. Yeah, but it gives it this amazing texture, doesn't it? It's, like, rich. I can honestly say this is one of the tastiest things I've ever eaten. Rich, Moorish, it's incredible. And it smacks of a Kenny-type dish. No wonder he got a star so quickly. No, it's, um, it's seriously ambitious food here. It's, like, absolutely pushing on. I think, like, you know... You probably dreamt of being a two mission star chef, but you probably didn't think it was going to be two restaurants on the same street as each other. <laughs> but I mean, you know, your ambitions on this and the way you, 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 I mean, you really, really are pushing the level. It must be a possibility in the future to win two stars here and a star. I think, I think the dream, I think it's every, every chef's ambition to achieve yeah. something that you'd never thought you were going to achieve. Um, but I think for, the idea for this restaurant was is to create something that we've never been to create before and take into a direction. And I've always said that way before, you know, if we can get a star, it would be great because I think the star adds to the business. Yeah. Two stars, obviously, we'd all love it. You'd love it. We'd love it. But as long as we feel as a we're, we're progression and the food is, because we serve the guests, as long as we can look the guests in the face and serve them something that we're 100% happy with, and just like proud to serve it. And you can see that in the guys who serve the dishes, how proud they are to serve it. And because the podcast is all about seasonal cooking, I wanted to know what ingredients Kenny and his team really look forward to cooking with. So as you know, I'm all about seasonal cooking and certainly that's what this podcast is about. Um, so, I mean, you can see the evolution of your menu. Now it's quite a spring-based menu. 
But like, is there one ingredient in particular that you just can't wait to, to cook with each year? I think, yeah, I think it's on the menu now. It's asparagus. I think, asparagus. yeah, because we lost two years of it, didn't we? With, <coughs> with the lockdowns that we were having. Oh. Uh, the first lockdown, then it was the second lockdown. So we lost two years of seasonal asparagus. So to get it on the menu now, it just feels like it's, it's it feels special again. And wild garlic as well. So we've managed to get onto the venison. So everyone was thinks venison in, in this time of year, oh, it's not very seasonal, but venison's a winter dish. Venison can be is, is available all year round and it's a really good sustainable product as well. Mm. That's a really interesting about venison. I think people don't understand there's the seasonality that you know you have different breeds of deer. Yeah. And then obviously the uh, the rose and bucks are yeah. also in season at different times within the breeding pattern. So there's always some sort of wild deer yeah. in the season. Uh, but it but it changes a lot. So I think that yeah. is that is a really interesting story to tell, yeah. So asparagus, love it. I mean I, I had some last night, I love it and why does it make your wee smell though? Sugar puffs. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Scott? Um, for me, probably the rhubarb, the forced Yorkshire rhubarb. All day long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon Scott's going to go far with his love of rhubarb. It's more of a symbol as well for me. It's like almost a bit of light in the, the darkness of winter, you know, the depth That's of so winter. Beautiful. And you just, I know, but it's <laughs> just the, yeah. Um, Can I change my interview? <laughs> yeah. That's so poetic. Yeah, I uh, I, I, so it's mine as well. I feel exactly the same. Yeah. But the thing is, there's nothing. It comes in in January and you're like, not just have I got an amazing thing to put on my menu, but it's bright pink. Yeah, Like, exactly. you know, in the summertime, you've got raspberries and strawberries <laughs> and blackberries and everything. Like, you spoil it, you do what you want. But January, February, March, you get that Yorkshire rhubarb yeah. from Yorkshire. Rep <laughs> representing, I can't believe they're allowed to come up here, to be honest. Know, but, like, um, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, that's my one. Yeah. Time for me to go. Kenny's got service to prepare for and I've got lunch to eat. Well, Kenny Scott, thanks, thanks for having us today. It's been absolutely fascinating. Oh, to, pleasure to see insight. And well, I'm off down the street. I'm going to have lunch at House of Tides, and uh, I can eat in two places in one day. Um, but thank you for having me. And you're going to text me that chicken skin. Yeah, recipe? I'll text you later. Yeah? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> it's not often that as chefs we get to spend time in someone else's restaurant, and we should do it more. Seeing how each other work, getting inspiration, it's a lot more collaborative than people think. Though it has been a few days now and I'm still waiting for that recipe, Kenny. And so that's it. The first season of Seasoned is complete. I hope you've enjoyed all the updates from the farm and from my restaurant. Meeting Dickie and Callum, my dad, meeting Alice and all the rest of the team. We get diners in with us every night talking about the podcast. Looking forward to certain dishes that they've heard about. Even wanting to meet Dickie. I know, weird. Anyway, we've also been selling loads of purple parachutes too. I never thought we'd be doing that. If you've enjoyed the series, please leave us a review. It really helps other people find the podcast too. If there's anything you've particularly enjoyed or even things you haven't, let us know. We want to make sure this podcast is packed with the things that you really want to hear. And while we're away, you can still get in touch on social media or by sending me an email at seasoned at tommybanks.co.uk. And don't worry, we'll be back in just a few weeks for a brand new season. It'll be summertime, and that means a whole new set of brilliant ingredients to cook with and enjoy. Thank you again to our sponsors, True Foods, to all our brilliant guests who have come to lend a hand, and to you at home for listening. I've loved it. I'll see you all soon. For more information about Seasoned, check out my website, www.tommybanks.co.uk, or... 
check us out on social media. If you've enjoyed the episode, please leave us a positive rating and a review. It would mean an awful lot to me and it really helps to support us and get this podcast off the ground. Most importantly though, tell your friends, tell someone else you've enjoyed it. Maybe they'll join us on our journey too. Seasoned is a What's the Story podcast. It's hosted by me, Tommy Banks, and produced by Daryl Brown and Sophie Ellis.